Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode one of the Austin Martin Fitness Podcast, where we encourage you to get out and move because exercise makes you feel good. I'm your host, Austin Martin, clinical exercise physiologist and strength coach. Today we have a guest, Dr. Alan Martin, practicing neurologist in Dallas, Texas. Uh, you want to introduce yourself to the show? Yeah, my name's Alan Martin. I'm a neurologist. I'm a regular exerciser. Glad to be here. Regular exerciser. Okay. All right. Well, today we're going to get into the topics of sedentary lifestyle and the role of exercise in medicine today. So I'll break down what uh, sedentary means. It uh, really means you're just sitting around, remaining in one place. Uh, also, another definition is someone who's not in the habit of exercise. So in y'all's medical community, what do y'all know about uh, physical inactivity and how does it affect uh, the patients you see? So physical activity and physical exercise uh, have direct effects and then what we call indirect effects. I'm a neurologist, so we're interested in the mind and the brain as well as the, the peripheral parts of the body. So there are some effects that exercise has on, for instance, memory, concentration, mood, behavior, okay? Uh, but there are also then some indirect effects it has on the brain. So the direct ones are the ones we can feel immediately, kind of well, the... Well, there may be effects that we're looking at in animal models or humans where the exercise is doing something to the brain itself. But exercise also had impacts cardiovascular things blood pressure, diabetes, uh, body weight, and all those things indirectly then affect the brain as well. So if what I'm saying is there are direct effects on the brain, and then by affecting other things in the body, that secondarily affects the brain. So if I'm sitting around all the time and I'm out of shape, it's, uh, that can have a negative effect on my health? It can have a negative effect in more than one way. Okay. Or if you get to moving, there's multiple different things that may happen uh, to your benefit, both immediately in the short term and in the long term. Okay, so when we look at physical inactivity, we have guidelines given to us kinda, uh, I mean, the CDC has them, the World Health Organization has them, tons of them have them. And really what it kinda boils down to is 150 to 250 minutes of moderate aerobic exercise or 75 minutes of vigorous exercise and it also tells you to work each muscle group two times a week so that's them telling us that we actually do need to uh, strength train I'll read what you they uh, say on strength training they say do strength training exercises for all major muscle groups at least two times a week aim to do a single set of each exercise using a weight or resistance level heavy enough to tire your muscles after about 12 to 15 repetitions they also say that it can include weight machines, your own body weight, resistance tubing, resistance paddles in the water, or even anything such as rock climbing. So where do you fall on the spectrum yourself um, within those minutes with regards to vigorous, moderate, weightlifting? Can you break us down your routine a little bit? So yeah, I'll tell you, let me tell you about my routine, but then I want to tell you about what I think about the guidelines as well, because I think that's... Yeah. That's a rough framework. Um, I probably do more than that. I'm a avid runner, so I run pro six days a week. 
uh, one day a week I go really long and then shorter during the week I try and do some we call interval work <clears throat> so I'll do short intense sprinting or anaerobic once or twice a week mm -hmm. um, and uh, then we'll do a, at least a long run and then I'll uh, try and lift weights at least three times a week three to four times a week um, and that's and as part of my weightlifting routine I have a core exercise strength yeah. routine and that's kind of my baseline fitness program that you go to well I'd say as an exercise physiologist, and I've seen a lot of people's routines, and uh, a lot of people don't do much of anything, so I'd say you're, you're in the upper echelon. So well, tell us well, about well, how they... Yeah, well, let me talk to you, but let's just talk about that, okay. the, their recommendations, which are, those are trying to give you some guidelines. If you go back to the primary data from the studies, which are either ob observational studies on people, or some of them, a few of them are looking forward, where they prospective, where they... <clears throat> give one group one type of exercise, one group another exercise, and then measure what happens. That would be looking forward or prospective. Observation might be looking backward, interviewing people, asking them what they do. And you don't see an absolute cutoff as if, if you do 100 minutes, you get benefit, and you do 90 minutes, you don't. It's more like a curve. You see it's a, a bell-shaped, it's a dose response. And so if you look at cardiovascular, heart, lung, blood pressure, diabetes, those kind of things, the more exercise you see benefit. Now, at the upper end, if you, if you start running too much, what you start, what you can start to see is orthopedic injuries. So you yeah. still get problems with your tendons or, or other things. So that, yeah. but there's not a, abs, a simple cutoff. So they're trying to look at the data they have and say, what, what would be a reasonable guideline uh, but if you just want to simplify it, any movement that you do is good. Yeah. So as a doctor, I take people where they are. So I've got people who never get out of a chair. Okay. So we're not going to start out having them think about running a half marathon. Yeah. I mean, some of those people, I just see if we can get them to get a dog so they'll go for a walk once a day. Right. A w walking once a day is not perfect. It doesn't meet the guidelines. But it turns out the outcome and the people who walk every day are better than the people who Today. never walk. Yeah. So we kind of take people where they are and try and get them doing a little bit more. Okay. And build it up from there. I like how you say that, you know, you you know, any movement is good movement. I don't know, have you heard the story of the octopus that attaches itself to a um, it attaches itself to a rock and then it uh, digest its brain there afterwards because it's never going to move again once it uh, once it positions itself there it never moves again and it has no more need for the brain so movement and all that gets the brain working and uh Eric, what can you kind of tell us about that so i can tell you that when people get off their feet and can't move they start having problems so we spend a lot of time at sending people to physical therapy even getting them in walkers anything because once you become can't walk, non-ambulatory, then bad things start happening from blood clots in your legs, mm -hmm. pneumonia, other consequences occur. So we're trying to get people to move in any way possible to, to avoid those problems. Once you do start moving, there are though direct effects on your muscles where you improve your strength. <clears throat> you people who are, get stronger in their legs as they get older, they end up having less falls, they have less hip fractures. 
Yeah. And it moved Which cost what, quite a bit of money and earned yeah, a cause for a lot of people going back to the hospital. We go to the hospital, a lot of people, your older people, the mortality, the risk of dying yeah. is very high because they fracture their hip and then you pin the hip, but then they get pneumonia, they get a blood clot and they die. Yeah. So moving, preventing falls um, are very important. So you uh, touched on the dog strategy earlier. Do you have any other strategies or kind of things that you tell your patients that, uh, I know it obviously is a case by case basis and what motivates people, but uh, behavior change is just such a hard thing to capture. Obviously you have someone you're taking care of like a dog that helps you get out and moving. But what other um, strategies have you found just uh, in your medical uh, community and really just stories that you know of people who've changed with exercise. So I'll try and talk to the person and get an idea of what their interests are. Okay, so I'll try and tie it to their interest. That So whether it be walking or a stationary bike or a yoga class or a Pilates class or to see if they've got an interest. I've got some other things I do. Sometimes I will say, will you commit to say, seeing a physical therapist if they've got a neurologic diagnosis and the physical and when I order the physical therapy then on my order the physical therapist to evaluate and treat them it includes transition to an independent exercise program so that I want the therapist not only to work with them in the session but to teach them the things that they're going to do to supervise them to have them come back and watch them do them and get them in the habit the idea is if they can go for several weeks and doing whatever exercise they're going to do on a consistent basis that they might develop a habit. Yeah. So we both are self-developed habits of exercise. And I know with habit forming, there's one thing is kind of the throw in the towel kind of um, uh, problem. You'll see this with challenges a lot. People will, uh, they're doing the challenge and they, they break it on Thursday or something like that. Then they throw in the towel the rest of the week. Oh, maybe I'll just start Tuesday or, you know, and uh, so when it comes to uh, lifestyle modification and uh, getting them to, you know, do it routinely, uh, how do you get people to not throw in the towel? So I like to, if they can get a goal. So for me, having a goal works well. <clears throat> I'm 59 and a half. I'm not going to run very, my race is very quick anymore, but we still always have a race or a run that we're looking forward to. And so that even if I miss a day or get sick, I'm not abandoning my goal. So it, it's a short term working towards a long term. So uh, is what I like to do. So it gives me a goal to work towards. Okay. So I'm gonna run, if I'm gonna do a 5K or I'm gonna do a 50 kilometer, uh, we're working toward it. The other is, Exercise is very social for me. I run with friends and kids. You, you ran with me. Yeah. yeah, so we run together. And so having somebody to run with, it can be very difficult if it's 32 degrees outside and it's 545. It's very tempting to lay in the bed. But if Michael Teaster is out waiting for me outside my house, got to get out. Yeah. Same way with him. I'll go to his house. He knows I'm out there. It's some accountability. And it makes it fun to have somebody to do it with, to talk and enjoy common experiences. We've had most of my runs, I've run, we set the goal together with friends. 
And so we will work towards the marathon or towards an ultra together, or yeah. whatever activity it is that we're going to do. So what would you, uh, I'll kind of turn that around the other way. Obviously you have a lot of friends who are rubbing off in good ways. What if people have uh, someone in their life who is uh, perhaps being a bad influence encouraging them not to exercise? Oh, just lay in the bed a little longer. Oh, just, um, you know, don't do it. Eat this, eat that and the other. Um, how do, uh, how do, maybe you're at work and you want to stand up from your desk and stretch a little bit and maybe even do a little bit of yoga and you're worried that people think you're weird. And maybe people in the office would, you know, point the finger and make fun of you and stuff like that. So how do you kind of walk that line of um, people who, um, you know, might maybe no one in their family exercises at all. So how do they get a routine um, and keep their family members from sabotaging them? Well, start small, have a goal. Um, uh, you do have to have a little bit of a sense of self-security and so when somebody says something you just say I'm taking that under advisement but I think you're right most people aren't going to get a lot of pushback you know or if, if people are pushing back they're pushing back because of their own concerns or insecurities most people are supportive most people if they're overweight actually want to lose weight most people would like to be in better shape yeah um, but even at work, there's little things that you can do that other people don't have to see. If, you, if you're on the fourth floor, take the stairs. Yeah. It's very simple. Or if, you're gonna, if you get time off for lunch, go out for a walk, even yeah. a 10 minute walk. Little or things like take that. the steps and go for a walk. There's little things that you can do that'll help. Um, yeah, when help. I was working an office job last time, I mean, I would clock out for lunch and I'd walk the whole time. And it felt somewhat antisocial because there's people up there eating their lunch. But at the end of the day, you got to look out for yourself more. And, um, you know, I'll kind of go with that. The next point I'll kind of get is we're going to move into the realm of you said you were how old? 50? 59. 59. Yeah. So obviously you've seen, uh, you've maintained uh, your uh, physique throughout your years. Uh, but the older we get, people fall off more and more and more and more and more. So uh, how have you kind of kept yourself uh, from not falling off? And what are common problems that you see in people in your age group from falling off, whether it be mental things they tell themselves or things like that? So I'd say the biggest problem is we're more susceptible to injury. We have less elastic tissue. So we get musculoskeletal injuries. We get wear and tear degenerative problems. Everybody tends to gain weight as they get towards middle age. Uh, so for me, it's a matter of... And why, that, why is that, that we gain weight towards middle age? Well, that's a complicated <laughs> answer, but it probably has something to do with metabolism. Yeah. Uh, but diet plays a role, but you can, um, you can be disciplined, okay? You sometimes have to reset your goals. So, you know, when I, the, the, the speed with which I run has slowed down, I don't do as many explosive things mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm more susceptible. I have had to cut my mileage back some so I don't get injured. Yeah. But I try and maintain my consistency. Okay. 
I'm going to go through a little bit of stats right here. Um, these are from the World Health Organization, and they're just concerning inactivity and our topic today. So they say insufficient physical activity is one of the leading risk factors for death worldwide. Is it up there pretty high? It's um, If we could take care of that, if people would start exercising, would that you know make a lot of problems go away? Yeah, so if you think of what, what do they do for people that have emphysema or a heart attack? I mean, after they get their acute recovery, they put them in cardiac rehabilitation or pulmonary rehabilitation. They try and get them to exercise to stress the muscles, stress the heart, stress the lung, to build up strength and capacity. Okay. All right. Let's see. Physical inactivity has significant health benefits and contributes to prevent NCDs. Let's see. Globally, one in four adults are not active enough. More than 80% of the world's adolescent population is insufficiently physically uh, active. That one scares me a lot, uh, is the physical inactivity of our children. Um, not that I have any children, but uh, what do you think uh, are answers that we can do for that? We obviously sit when we go to school all the time. We're in cars. All you can try and do is set an example, encourage people, hopefully institute programs. You know, it's really a combination of inactivity and poor diet. It says the rates of obesity are dramatically increasing. Yeah. And obesity then is tied to high blood pressure, diabetes, yeah. cholesterol, poor outcomes cardiovascularly, and those are tied into poor neurologic and cognitive outcomes long-term. Okay. So here it says that the World Health Organization states have agreed to reduce insufficient physical activity by 10% by 2025. I don't think that's going to happen. I really don't think it'll work. If you look at the obesity rate, which you were talking about earlier, if you go to 1990, we were 10%, which is, uh, that's pretty low. And we're already up to 34%. So that's a, that's a, um, that is a massive jump from 1990 all the way to uh, our current year from 10 to 34%. Um, what do you think their initiatives they're taking to kind of proclaim that they can maybe get it down or? So I, I, just, I think activity is important, but I think it's gonna have to be some type of dietary change. Yeah. What we're eating, how much we're eating, uh, the times and patterns in which we eat, uh, that's the biggest way. It's very difficult to exercise enough to make up for, for bad a bad diet. diet. Yeah, they say 80-20 in the fitness industry is 80% nutrition, 20%. Uh, so I push maybe for 75-25, so but it's still mostly you what think you think of eat. it, if you go out and walk a mile, an average person might expend about 100 calories, mm -hmm. ballpark. Well, 100... A Coke has, what, 125 to 140 yeah. calories? So on the one hand, you say, well, if you're having a Coke and French fries and an apple dumpling, well, you're going to have to go run a lot just to compensate for those things. But the other way of looking at it, the other way around is, let's say you had a Coke a day. If you maintain the same level of exercise and the same dietary and caloric intake, and all you did was give up a Coke a day, that would equate to about a pound a month 
twelve pounds a year, yeah. just on a mathematical basis. So thirty-five hundred in. So month. making a little difference consistently can make a difference. The old saying, "How do you eat an elephant?" It's one bite at a time. If you can make even medium to small changes, but do them consistently every day over month, it's going to make a big difference. And that's. It's not an easy thing to do, but we're, we're striving for it. Um, with nutrition and all that, how do people cut through, obviously the advertising industry can say almost whatever they want. So what's uh, the kind of a guide for dummies to, um, you know, on what to eat to not gain weight if they're trying to lose weight, what kind of things to stay away from? So it's very difficult. It's not, well, advertising's a problem. But even the scientific nutrition literature is contradictory at times. It's, it's often poor at times. And so it can be very difficult to know that, that, that most of the data is not forward-looking prospective. Much of it is short-term rather than long-term. So I get it, but in general, if you look at whole healthy foods, restricting simple sugars, processed sugars, processed carbohydrates, eat whole healthy normal food, food people in general tend to do better. Yeah. Processed foods with process, people who eat diets high in processed carbohydrates, groups that do that tend to be overweight. Yeah. And you got to stay prepared. If you're going to eat whole foods all the time, that's what you got to do is stay prepared because there's bad food on every corner and it'll get to you sometimes. So this here says four and five of the most co uh, costly chronic conditions among adults 50 years and older can be prevented or managed with physical activity, but it seems physical inactivity is on the rise and obesity is on the rise and it's hard as you know, to get your patients to exercise, uh, whether it's a discipline thing or something like that. So what um, uh, role do you think exercise plays uh, in the future in the role of healthcare for us to be able to use exercise to cut costs? So, you know, a fair bit of the research now, there's in, in terms of even mental or cognitive decline, mild cognitive impairment, early dementia, has been involved in exercise programs. You know, a few years ago, we would have thought that's crazy. How could exercise have a role in terms of memory, thinking, cognitive impairment? There's a lot of mechanisms we understand now, whether it be stimulating nerve growth factors, brain-derived neurotrophic growth factors, causing neuronal sprouting, even in the temporal lobe, new nerve formation, neurogenesis, something that we would have thought was a heresy. We know that, it, that those things occur with exercise. with exercise. So there are direct benefits on the brain. Neural sprouting, like yes, sprouting. Yeah, in response. Now, we know that better in animals than we do in humans because in animals you can exercise them. If you put a rat in a cage with a wheel, he'll run on the wheel. Mm -hmm. And if you don't let them have a wheel, they can't exercise. And so then you can, of course, look inside the rat's brain. 
by sacrificing the brain. Mm-hmm. You can measure all these things. It's a little harder to do in humans. Yeah, you can. Right? We have rat but, guillotines. But I think the human be, guillotine got so there a while the, back. Right, so. but they can look at neurotransmitters and spinal fluid transmitters and other things to get an idea in humans, but it makes a big difference directly on the brain to do those things, not to mention the effects of blood pressure and diabetes that, and we that affects yeah. blood vessels, small blood vessels in the brain. One thing that we know that we've discovered in the last few years is you know, Alzheimer's is associated with a protein called amyloid being deposited in the brain. We thought, well, amyloid's the answer. But we know that there's some people who have a fair bit of amyloid who don't have really any memory problems yet and others who do. And one of the differences between those two groups has to do with cardiovascular risk factors. If they have hypertension, diabetes, high cholesterol, and disease of their small blood vessels, they may manifest with memory problems earlier than the people who have the same amount of amyloid without those things. Which is obviously yeah. very so, affected by Right, so before I went to medical science. school, they thought dementia was from hardening of the arteries, vascular disease. And then we learned, oh no, we're much smarter than that. It has nothing to do with it. It's all amyloid in the brain. This kind of become full circle. It's like amyloid's important, but now we realize these va- hardening of the arteries, per se, small vessel disease tied to blood pressure, diabetes, and cholesterol turn out to be have a permissive effect on, on that amyloid causing yeah. memory loss and cognitive disturbance. Wow. So you can impact that. So you can impact the vein directly by exercise and then indirectly by its effects on body weight, high blood pressure, diabetes, cholesterol. Well, it sounds like the the effects are, uh, the penumbra is much wider than we ever could have imagined. And exercise touches all facets, it really does. Uh, And, uh, you know, we'll get into that quite a bit more on this podcast. And uh, I really want to thank our guest, Dr. Alan Martin, today again uh, for coming on this podcast. And do you have any final words for us? Uh, I would say the, the last study I'd like to mention is they, they took a, a group of people who had mild depression mm-hmm. and they randomized these people prospectively to getting psychotherapy. The, another group got medication. Or another group got exercise. These were people with mild to moderate depression. And the point was that, that each of those turned out to be an effective therapy. Yeah. Now, in practical sometimes we may do each of those things all three of those things or two of those things it doesn't mean you have to do one but the point is exercise if you do it consistently is going to have a positive effect not just on your physical strength not just on your memory and cognition but on the way that you feel it's almost like a magic pill yeah and it it doesn't cost you anything and you're going to feel better you're going to think better you're going to be healthier. Hey, and that's why we got the theme song for this song the way it is. Y'all keep rocking, keep exercising. I'm Austin Martin, clinical exercise physiologist. I am the exercise compliance button for physicians. Keep exercising. (laughs)